0: Man, we are honored to be with you here, and my wife and I wanted to say personally, uh, thank you for the greeting that you all gave us on Friday evening, and uh, we just gotten in and just kind of settled in and laying in the bed, and all of a sudden, the air conditioning unit sounded like it was going to come out of the wall, mirrors were shaking, and my wife has uh, been in two different earthquakes, actually, in uh, both of them in Istanbul, Turkey, Where we were there doing mission work several years ago, I'd never been in one, and so I was okay after I changed my clothes. But it was, uh, you know, it it was a moving experience there, and something that happened just instantly, and something you have no control over whatsoever, and you're just there at the mercy of an almighty, powerful God who's moving and shaking in an earthquake, and so it it was uh, an experience for me. And uh, I tell you, I can now say I have experienced an earthquake and lived through it. And uh, it it got me closer to God because I tell you, when it was happening, I was confessing sins I hadn't even committed. (laughs) I I just, I thought for sure I was going to meet Jesus. So I'm like, all right, Lord, forgive me for this and that. And I'm going, I didn't do that. No, but anyway, um, I pray today that our time together is productive. I really do. I pray that as we dive into God's word this morning, that the Lord will, will just uh, speak a word to each of us. I, at Urban Crest right now, I'm an, what's called an expository preacher. It's what I've always done. It's the only thing I know to do. And that simply means we pick a book of the Bible and we preach through that book. We'll start chapter 1, verse 1, and go all the way through the end of whatever book that we're studying. And I am preaching through right now the book of Revelation. It's my favorite book in all of Scripture, asides from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I love this book. I love studying it. I love teaching it. We're in about chapter 11 right now. We've been in about 50 weeks now. We've been studying this great book. And uh, I always, I've always been told that a preacher ought to preach what is really hot on his heart. And so we're going to look at the scripture this morning from Revelation chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn there. I think it will come up on the screen here in just a moment. But we want to look at Revelation chapter 4. And I want to set it up kind of in this way. Uh, In Revelation chapter 1, remember that John, who is one of God's very best, one of his best disciples that he has, the, the, the disciple that laid his head upon the shoulder of Jesus, whom Jesus loved, John is now banished to an island called Patmos. Patmos was a salt mine of the Roman Empire. And John was banished there to spend the rest of his life working for the Romans. Most of the time, he would spend it underground. His his place of residence would be underground. He would work underground. And so here is one of the very best that God's got. And for a year and a half now, he has been exiled to this salt mine. And it's an amazing thing that in Revelation chapter 1, John says this, and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Can you imagine that? It's, it's Sunday. It's time to worship the Lord. And John could have thought a million things. Man, Lord, I'm, you've forgotten me. Why am I? What's my purpose of being in this cave? What am I? What, God, I don't understand your plan. And John said, no, I didn't whine about those things. I didn't complain to God when it came to worshiping the Lord. It was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now remember, John hadn't done anything wrong. He is there, <clears throat> excuse me, because of his witness and his preaching of the Word of God. You see, Diocletian, who was the emperor at the time, demanded once a year for every citizen to come to a public arena somewhere in their town and make a uh, oath to Diocletian. They would just light a little candle of incense, bow a knee, and they would cry, Diocletian or Caesar is Lord. John said, I'll never bow a knee to any man. Jesus is Lord. So in that situation, in a salt mine, God takes him and transports him from there to the very third heaven. And John begins to write, now, in Revelation chapter 1, man, he sees this vision of Jesus as Jesus will be in all of his splendor, his power, his glory and honor, and his coming. And John sees this magnificent, magnificent sight of Christ. And in this picture, Jesus is seen in the center. Of the churches, and there are seven churches that are around him, and we read about them in Revelation two and three, Ephesus, and starting there and ending with Laodicea, and but all the churches are looking to Jesus, and Jesus is the very center of the church. So, just point of application, real quickly here: understand that I'm not the senior pastor of Urban Crest. I have that title. Hayden is not the senior pastor of walk church jesus christ is the senior pastor here and if he isn't revelation chapter 3 says he's standing outside knocking on the door asking for someone to let him in so understand this is what he sees and when john sees it you know what happened the bible says i fell at his feet as if i were dead he played possum before jesus i mean he's just he's He's prostrate on the floor. Jesus reaches down with one hand and lifts him up. And you remember what he said? Fear not, John. I am he who lives. I was dead. And I'm alive forevermore. And by the way, I have the keys of death hell, and the grave in my pocket. So let's get up and let's begin recording what's there. So this marvelous vision. Then we have seven, I call them emails to seven different churches. They're, They're just a little snapshot of the church. But... Only one of the church actually has a positive connotation to it. Church of Philadelphia. All the other churches, they well, Smyrna was just told, you're going to suffer for my name's sake. See, John's in a cave, so he understood that one. See, when you feel like you're isolated and you're in a cave, you just feel all forgotten and you feel like the walls are closing in on you. And so he gives this marvelous description to these seven churches. But all of them have the finishing line. Here it is. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so that's where we pick up in Revelation now, chapter 4. Nineteen times so far, John has addressed the church. The church will not be addressed again. All right. So 19 times leading up to the end of chapter 3. The church has been addressed, and from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 19, we don't even see the church again until chapter 20, or at the end of chapter 19, and the church coming as a bride with Jesus Christ at his return. So something happens to the church in between there. Let's look at Revelation Chapter 4, I think the verse is up here for you. I use the New King James Version. I hope that's okay. I won't fall out with you. Don't fall out with me. All right, and we'll have a good time on this one. Here's what it says. I love this. The first three words, if you highlight anything in your Bible, you ought to highlight these first three words. Listen, if you're here today and you feel like you're in a cave, you ought to highlight these three words. Here's what it says. After these things. After these. These things. See, whatever you're going through right now, it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. And it will leave you one day. And you can be set free. So after these things, he said, and what's these things? Well, chapter 2 and chapter 3, he's been addressing the church, the great appeal to the church, all of that. And now the transition now is moving to where the church is now at. The church is now in heaven in chapter 4 and chapter 5. So after these things, I looked, and behold, now that word don't mean a whole lot to you and I. OK? Really doesn't. I mean, behold doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, there are some words that mean a lot to us. Let me give you an example. I love to play golf. I'll golf for food. All right? I, I will play anytime I get the opportunity, anytime I get the chance. But there is one word when yelled at a golf course that will send the chill down your spine. And here's the word for when that word for is scream you are ducking you are praying you're confessing sins you haven't committed I've been hit twice on a golf course with a golf ball it hurts it leaves a mark so you're ducking you know John just walk in and says hey behold remember John the Baptist His cousin Jesus comes over the hillside one day leading to Jericho. What did John do? He stopped everything and he said, listen, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John said, don't miss it. That's him. That's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And so when he gives us a behold statement, he wants to get everybody's attention. After these things, I looked, John said, And behold, a door standing open in heaven. Please listen to my voice. There weren't 14 doors. There wasn't let's make a deal, door number one, door number two, door number three. There is only one way to get off of earth into a place called heaven, and that's through the man, Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anybody tells you another way, they don't have a clue where they're going, like me. I can get lost in a circle. I circled that airport this morning. I bet you... 47 times trying to figure out where I was supposed to be. It's just a spiritual gift. Understand? So understand, after these things, he said, I saw one door standing open in heaven. So you're not, there's not going to be a door over here with Buddha. There's not going to be a door over here with Krishna. There's not going to be a door over here with Muhammad or any of these other so-called prophets. There's only one door open in heaven, and that's the door that Jesus Christ represents. Remember what he said in John chapter 10? I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he will be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture, but he will be my sheep. Now, let's have some more fun here. Y'all all right? Look at your neighbor and go, man, ain't this good? See, I don't get amens a lot, so I have to compliment myself, so you understand. And he says, the, the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me great analogy isn't it a trumpet first of all the sound is loud and very clear when I preached on this text we got four or five I call them bugle players trumpet players at church and I had them stand in the very back of the church when I read that thing right there all four of them let loose on that trumpet Everybody got what was being communicated right there. It's very loud. It's very clear. No one will miss this invitation as Jesus calls his sheep home. Remember what he said? My sheep know my voice and they will follow me. Now, he says like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Uh, In uh, 1 Thessalonians, there's a Greek word called harpizo. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's another Greek word called alasso. Both of those are used to um, take a group of people or something and move it from one location to another location, and it is done in a very quick manner. In this case, when Jesus comes, the Bible says that the trumpet of God shall sound, and it will happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. So understand, a GE scientist took that little phrase there and they examined it. And the twinkling of an eye is 11 one-hundredths of a second. In 11 one hundredths of a second, the church of Jesus Christ is going to leave this location. And we will be in the third heaven, worshiping Jesus before his throne in 11 one-hundredths of a second. So it's, it's going to happen. Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Man, then he gets real technical. This is good stuff. Immediately, he says, I was in the spirit, and there's that word again. Behold, a throne set in heaven. Listen, the word throne is used 47 times in the book of Revelation. This chapter has 11 verses. It'll be used 14 times. Here's what he's saying. Listen, I want to draw all of your attention to what's going to take place on this throne. So throughout Revelation 4, he's about the throne. He's before the throne. Behold the throne. And he says there was a throne set in heaven, and one sat upon that throne. I'll say it again. Not 14 choices. There's only one that's going to sit on the throne. His name is Jesus. And you must know him as Lord and Savior. And one sat there, and he who sat, now he's going to give a little description. He who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in appearance likened to an emerald. We'll come back to that description in just a moment. I want us to focus this morning on believing the hype about the rapture of the church. I want us to believe the hype about the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that when we talk about the rapture of the church sometimes, there are some that have some uh, disagreements about when Jesus is going to come back and take his church home. There's what is called a pre-tribulation belief. Now, the word tribulation, all it is referring to is a seven-year fixed period of time where the Jewish nation must settle out their final seven years of uh, the task of spreading the gospel, the task of being the missionary agency. They're gonna have seven years to do it left in their history, and Jesus Christ is going to return at the end in what's known as the Battle of Armageddon. They make movies about that word. And Armageddon's not a big asteroid hitting the planet, okay? It's Jesus Christ hitting the planet. So understand, this is where we're talking about here. So some believe that Jesus is going to come back before those seven years. That's what I believe. It's called the pre-tribulational belief. Others believe in a mid-tribulation. And then there are some that believe we're going to be here the whole time. It's called a post-trib belief. Now, personally, again, I believe in the pre-tribulation. I know I can prove it from Scripture. So if you want to be wrong, it's okay to believe in one of these other two. All right? But here's what I do understand. When the trumpet sounds, it's only sounding once, and I'm going home then. Okay? So everybody understand that? Now, the whole emphasis, though, about this return of Christ is this. Whether you believe Jesus is going to come before this seven-year period fixed of time or not, guess what the message is? Jesus is coming. All right. Three and a half years in, if you believe in mid-trip, don't get boasting about which one you believe in. What's the message there? Jesus is coming. Hey, if you're going to stay here for seven years, guess what the message is then? Jesus is coming. Let's stop arguing about seven years and start telling people Jesus is coming. That'll preach. I'm telling you, that'll preach just about anybody's church, won't it? Now, from this... I want to draw four simple points in your notes. Number one, God has a plan. Are you listening? After these things. Hey, John, I've got a plan. I just want you to know what that plan is. Now, listen, on the screen is going to come uh, a map. Now, whether you realize it or not, uh, that's a map. That is a little graphic of the state of Ohio. I'm from Lebanon, Ohio, so it's best to use that when I preach on this subject. What you see right there in the middle is the entire land mass of Israel. Now, you understand, Israel, and all of its land mass, will fit five times in the state of Ohio. Let me ask this simple question. How is it possible that a, a small trek of land that'll fit five times in the state of Ohio, how is it possible that that little spot of land is going to control all of history it has from all the way back from Adam and Eve all the way through now, that still happens. You know why? Because God said it would. God takes things that don't make sense to confound those who think that they are wise. God thinks base things and things that are nothing to bring to nothing things that are. So if you've never believed in God's plan before, understand, God is so awesome, he can take a little sliver of land and dictate all of history with it. That's how awesome this God is that we serve. God has a plan. Now, the next great prophetic event to take place is called the rapture of the church. In 11 100ths of a second, if Jesus returned right now, we would go home to be with him. Now, if, if that happens, right here, you're going to see a pile of clothes. You'll see uh, an artificial hip. You'll see 27 screws laying there. You'll see two steel plates laying there. Because, listen, when I go to heaven, I get a brand new body. Everybody all right? So understand. When that happens, though, it's going to happen just like the earthquake the other night. It'll happen when you least expect it, and there's no controlling it. So I found this little clip not long ago, and I want to use it just to kind of drive home the point of what the rapture of the church could look like. So play that, guys. It's about two minutes. The first part is not the best quality, but it, it does portray God, without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or He might come next week. Or He could even come... that took place right now would you go home if you don't they won't you won't need an invitation to find Jesus I think you'll come to these altars here and you'll give your life to Christ but you got to endure the next seven years there will be no escape God has a plan his plan is to take his church home before that last seven years of tribulation that fixed period of of time when God will pour out 21 major judgments on this planet. Seven seals, seven vials, and seven trumpets. One trumpet will sound and a third of mankind will be dead. One other trumpet will sound, a third of the sea life will be dead. Another trumpet sounds, a third of the fresh water system is poisoned. Another trumpet sounds, a third of all the plants and the trees are destroyed. You see, God has a plan. He's going to redeem planet earth one day. Jesus' prayer is, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven is going to be answered one day. When the king of kings and lord of lords return he turns with a, a vesture on him, a robe on him that has been dipped in the blood of those who he slaughtered. See, say, well, I don't like to talk about Jesus that way. Me neither. That's why I'm on the winning team. Yes. Everybody all right? Now, I got a few more minutes. Let's bring this thing home. God has a plan. Everybody agree? He's got a plan. All right, we're going to take it a little bit more. Listen, the story is still being told. This story is still being told. So understand, that's what after these things mean. But when he got to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3, he gave us this marvelous description. And he who sat was to look like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And then he says, there was a rainbow round about the throne in appearance likened to an emerald. Now, here's what's really cool. In your notes, the first stone of jasper represents the tribe of Judah, or Reuben, I'm sorry. And understand, these, these stones are the first and last stones of the breastplate of the high priest of israel that he wore so the first stone represented the tribe of reuben and reuben his meaning is behold a son that began the earthly ministry of jesus in isaiah chapter 7 with the incredible virgin birth of christ The last stone of Sardius represented the tribe of Benjamin. Listen, Benjamin means, that's my first name, by the way, the son of my right hand. Jesus came, behold a son. Jesus one day and is right now seated at the right hand of the father in a place called heaven and he's making intercession prayer for you and I. John sees this throne. He sees all that's going on, and he sees one sitting on it, and he sees his eternal high priest, Jesus, sitting there, and the story is still being told. And there was a rainbow around about the throne. Everybody understands that the rainbow means God will keep his word. By the way, it's time that we take the rainbow back. Everybody all right? That's just good preaching. We'll leave that right where it's at. No more commentary, all right? Time we because, listen, the rainbow, it was God's idea, but there was a, it looked like an emerald. Now, an emerald is a, a translucent-type green, and green in the Scripture represents eternal life. So in three verses, John saw Jesus, the only Savior, sitting upon the throne as our eternal high priest who will always keep his word. Jesus said, listen, guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and get you so that you can be with me where I am. John chapter 14, verses one through three. He's still got a plan and the story is still being told. Number three, this is where it gets really points of application. God has a plan for your life. Y'all all right? For your life. Listen, I don't care what you smoked last night. I don't care what you drank. I don't care what you looked at in a computer screen. If you give your life to Jesus, God's got a plan for your life. And he will bring out his very best in you. Say, Pastor, I just can't even, I can't even imagine that. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've said. The people that I've hurt, listen, my God's grace is sufficient to cover every sin. You can't envision it right now because all of the blessings that God wants to get you, give to you, are on the other side of your obedience. You have to come to Him as Savior. And then you begin to uh, lose resources of spiritual blessing, of spiritual help, the camaraderie of a family in the body of Christ. That comes after you say yes to Jesus Christ. So I beg you today. God's got a plan for your life. In your notes, you don't get to choose what you go through, but you do get to choose how you go through it. See, sometimes we go through life, and and, uh, my wife battles depression and has for about 20 years now. That's a tough thing. Depression's an ugly beast. I've had 41 surgeries. Uh, Last December, I had my fourth hip replacement on the left side. I haven't enjoyed any of those surgeries. God's got a plan, though. I don't get to choose what that plan is, but I get to choose how I go through it. God's got a plan for your life because he brought you here this morning so you could hear a message of truth. You could hear a message of hope. You could be surrounded by believers who will love on you, will pray with you. They'll help hold you accountable with whatever area of life you may struggle with. And finally, your story is still being written. Yours is. You see, if there's breath in your body today, there's still hope for you and there's hope that you can find Jesus as Savior. If you're here and you know him as Lord and Savior and maybe you've walked away from him willfully or ignorantly. There are some sins we just do of ignorance. There's other things we just do because we want to do them. Can I get a witness? We're just disobedient. You know you can come home. Listen, God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He wants you to come home today. He wants to have fellowship again with you today. He misses his time with you today. And he pleads with you, please come home. Your story is still being written. See, to make the most of your time, you must take responsibility for your time. I don't know how much time we've got left. I really don't. Here's a sobering thought. The average man in this country lives to be 70 i'll be 63 next month if i'm average i've got seven years left how am i going to spend them am i going to retire and play golf five days a week see i went to golf because that's my favorite thing that's why i had to pick on the golfers am i going to retire and go sit on a beach somewhere or am i going to be out telling people about a savior Who loves them and cares for them and they need him as Lord and Savior listen option A is heaven that's God's plan for your life there's only one other option B and it's called hell Jesus didn't want anybody to go there here's what I've been really learning this last year really learning it God loves people I don't like and now he's teaching me to love people I don't even like People I only want to be in the building with sometimes. God says, listen, they're born in my image, and they can receive me just as you receive me. You go out there and tell them how much I love them. Everybody okay? So understand, your story is still being written. Ephesians, when Paul wrote to that great, great church, he said this, see then that you walk circumspectly. That's That's an old English word. It means to walk with your eyes wide open. That's it, just wide open. He says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So in other words, you can walk anyway. If you want to walk like a fool, you can walk like a fool. you can choose to walk in wisdom. And he goes on to say, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now listen, if they were evil in Ephesus, have they gotten any better? I, I don't think so. And understand We're living in a time where we have to make the most of our opportunities. And today is your opportunity, friend, to say yes to Jesus. Today, ma'am, sir, it's your opportunity to come home to Christ. Listen, I sat where many of you sat several years ago in my life. At the age of 29, I had walked out of church five years earlier. And I said, if this is church, who needs this? I got so tired of the fussing. And the fighting, can I tell you something? It nearly cost me everything. It nearly cost me my wife, my two little girls. It nearly cost me everything. And when I'm 29 years of age, as cold on God as I could possibly be, sitting in North Fairfield Baptist Church, I watched a little seven-year-old boy walk into a baptistry, and God arrested my life and said, that's what it's all about. It's about that little kid finding Jesus as Savior. Tom, get up out of the seat. Get back in the fight. And from since that time, I've been serving Jesus the best I know how. So I know where you're at. And if you need to come home today, you can come home. I'm so glad I let go of the back of that. We had pews in them days. It's a big, long bench for you young people that we used to sat on. And we all huddled up together. We didn't have our own individual space. And so we sat there. I'll never forget hanging on to that thing with white knuckles, Dean. White knuckles. And the Holy Spirit said, Tom, why don't you put yourself out of your misery? Take a step. I'll go with you the rest of the way. And I'm telling you, greatest decision I ever made in my life because God wasn't through with my story. And he changed my life again and he cleaned me up and he set me in the pastoring just a year and a half later and God has been using it ever since. Why? Because if God can change my life, he can change anybody's life. I beg you to come home today. Now let's close with this. If you're a believer in Christ, your ultimate destination is clear. You are in Christ Jesus. I love to read all the epistles and hear Paul say, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are in Christ Jesus. It's a technical term. You see, you're either in or you're out. You either know him or you don't know him. So, your destination is clear. Two bullet points. Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God alone, is qualified to fulfill God's ultimate plan of redemption for your life. What can wash away my sin? Think we just sang about it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Finally, the book of Revelation begs us to engage in the worship Of the Savior of the world. If we had more time to read this text, you would read about the angels who fly. Back and forth in heaven, who never stopped crying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and is to come. We would learn about the 24 elders who cast their throne before the feet of Jesus. We would hear about the millions of angels that worship Him, and we would see a sea of glass like unto crystal. Your loved ones, my loved ones, who have gone on to home, they're a sea of glass before the throne, worshiping Jesus. Why is it like unto crystal? Because, friend, they're no longer a sea that is tossed to and fro with the storms of life. They're at home. They're at peace with Jesus, and they're worshiping him forevermore, and we're going to join them one day. If you know Jesus, you'll join them one day. Father in Jesus.